Do you want to feel old at Christmas? Well, the first Narnia film, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, released 15 years ago in 2005. Five years after that, the third Narnia film, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, released in the year 2010. So that movie is now 10 years old. You're welcome. Fortunately, with age comes wisdom, and we hope to share this wisdom about both of these films' wins and fails as we are joined by a special guest and an old Prince of Narnia here on Fantastical Truth. Merry Christmas, season's greetings, Happy New Year, go tell it on the mountain, and welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven, where we find the best in Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and apply the beauties, the wonders, the excellencies of these stories to the real world that our Savior Jesus Christ has called us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher at lorehaven.com. And I'm Zachary Russell, and this is episode 46 Ten years later, why did the voyage of the Don Treader sink the Narnia movies? And we'll be joined by Rillian of Narnia Web, and we'll explain what that is in just a minute. Boy, Stephen, this is going to be fun. I love the first Narnia. I've watched that a million times. You know, I let my kids watch it, and I kind of watch along right now. It, it, it's one of those great movies that's like, it really is fun for all ages. And yeah, the Don Treader came out a few years after that third movie, and hmm... Lots of different reactions, so we'll we'll get into that. All right, now we're preparing for some uh, big changes at lorehaven.com uh, going into January. Real quick, too, about the movies, uh, the Narnia films. Yeah, the first one was really great. I think that the second one, we don't want to leave him out, Prince Caspian, that actually came out in uh, the spring or, or early summer of 2008. Uh, the only reason why we're not talking about that one today is that uh, we don't have an anniversary for that. But both uh, the first film and the third film came out in December, and now the first film is 15 years old, and the third film is 10 years old. So it just seemed like a good chance to uh, bring in an old friend and, and talk about some of those, because even though we love the Narnia books most of all and have had plenty of things to say already in our first year of podcasting about Narnia and C.S. Lewis and uh, his legacy for Christian-made uh, fantasy and creativity and all of that from a biblical vantage, we also enjoy the movies. I, I hope we enjoy the movies. Uh, the third movie, you know, just so you know, you know, if you're a big fan of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which was a movie, uh, it was an adaptation of that third Chronicle of Narnia, um, be aware in this recording, we, we're, we're going to be a little bit snarky about it. Just in case you start uh, getting annoyed, you know, like a DC fan gets annoyed when people say that the DC movies are too dark. I know how that feels. I want to know how you feel, but we are going to be a little bit more negative about that. What we will be more positive about uh, is uh, those upcoming, upcoming changes at the lorehaven.com. I'm pleased to announce that uh, after uh, the Christmas rush has concluded and people are looking into a new year and maybe making some resolutions to read more or better stories, uh, we're going to be alongside you in that resolve because effectively lorehaven.com is going monthly. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to be mailing a monthly magazine to your house. Uh, in fact, uh, we uh, part of going monthly on the website only. Uh, we are, at least for now, phasing out the print edition, which allows us more resources and more time and more creativity to put toward doing monthly articles from a wider variety of excellent Christian fantastic creators. It allows us to start posting more news updates so you get more timely information about upcoming releases and other things that you would want to know as a fan. 
And Lord willing, we're going to be turning those reviews that we've been doing of the best new Christian-made fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond. Instead of putting out a series of 12 of those uh, every quarter of the year, we're going to be releasing those weekly. Weekly reviews also allows us to get more quickly uh, to those new releases, maybe even a few weeks in advance. We love it when we can pull that off and let you know in advance uh, what books you may want to keep an eye on. And of course, a fantastical truth, this podcast will still be offering weekly episodes on Tuesdays. Uh, as we'll say a little bit later, uh, this here is actually our final episode of the year 2020. We're going to take an extended holiday break and uh, then come back, uh, hopefully then in the middle of January on that Tuesday. So lots to discuss at the website. You can go to lorehaven.com and uh, make sure you click subscribe there too. It is a free subscription. And uh, as we move forward into these, uh, these, this monthly model, uh, we'll also be retooling the subscription a bit. So you can hopefully customize what kinds of updates you want to get. You can decide whether or not you want to get the news about the reviews or the occasional news items or articles or the podcast episodes, whatever you want, uh, whatever is, uh, is most relevant to you in your journey as a Christian fan. Well, some other time, Stephen, we'll have to talk about Prince Caspian. That probably is my favorite one of the three, uh, particularly the line where Peter says, we've waited long enough for Aslan. It's up to us now. Um, I've shared this before that that's probably the unfortunate <laughs> theme of my life or, or rather the theme of my, my flesh, you know, my fleshly instincts and, um, something I always have to kind of look out for. So I, I think about that line all the time. Uh, I don't even, was that even in the book though? I, I don't remember. Uh, unfortunately, no, it was not in the book. Uh, the movie went Just off in its movie. own direction in many ways. Yeah. However, I think there was enough there that, that made it not a theme organic to the book, but still a theme that Narnia fans could empathize with, especially right. because it is based on the idea on one idea in the book of the struggle of whether or not to believe Lucy when she says she's seen Aslan and let's follow him, even though it seems to make no sense whatsoever. So I guess the theme is kind of in the book, uh, but it is definitely expanded in the movie for a raid on the castle. And, you know, people meet each other a lot sooner in the movie than they do in the book. Yeah. There's some other changes there. As we say in our interview, I think Prince Caspian, you know, that's a movie that we're okay with. Uh, At least Narnia fans uh, (laughs) all together are are okay with that, even though it's very different from the book. Uh, But Dawn Treader is definitely a different story. Well, Stephen, tell us about Rillian and tell us about NarniaWeb.com. Well, first, uh, NarniaWeb.com is its real name, but Rillian is not his real name. Uh, Once a mod or modest at NarniaWeb, always a mod or modest at NarniaWeb. For a while there in the mid-2000s, when the movie started coming out, I was a moderator at NarniaWeb. I just had to step back when life uh, took a few other turns and I got too busy to do that. Rillian was also a, a, I guess, I'm not sure if he was a moderator, uh, but he did start the podcast at this website uh, back in the very early days of podcasts. He started as uh, Narnia News and Notes, and then it just became the Narnia Web podcast, and it's now known as Talking Beasts. And Narnia Web is a fan forum. It got started in the early 2000s uh, when the news came out that Disney was going to work with a company called Walden Media to direct uh, the big budget uh, adaptations of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series. As you know, they only got to three movies in uh, so far, uh, and I, I don't think there will be any more of them, as we mentioned at the, toward the end of this interview. But Narnia Web is still going strong, even if the movies are not. Uh, that uh, site has survived social media and blogs and been able to adapt. And there's still a core group of very dedicated fans at that site. Uh, if I had more time, I would participate more myself. But 
obviously very busy with a life, the universe and lore haven and everything. Uh, otherwise I would wish I could, but anyway, if you want to, it is at narniaweb.com. Very welcoming place. Uh, and yet a, a very curated place as well. Last I checked uh, they want to preserve uh, the magic and the depth of a discussion around those stories and C.S. Lewis's other works. That's awesome. Well, let's bring in Rillian. This is my old pal, codenamed Rillian uh, from Narnia Web. We're glad to have him here joining us on Fantastical Truth. I actually started on Rillian's podcast, uh, which eventually became part of Narnia Web. And so now he's on my podcast, <laughs> Fantastical You've Truth. You've gotten so big. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, it thanks grows to all up the so fast. Thanks to the, all the little people uh, that uh, helped to make it happen. <laughs> great yeah. to have you. you I were, think you I was the, one of the little people. Yeah, well, so was I. You were the cool one, though, because you were doing podcasting, I think, before you called it podcasting. Or or maybe I'm... Uh, it, it, was, it was called podcasting. Okay. Uh, uh, maybe I just yeah. uh, wasn't... It was in back in loop. the day when uh, GarageBand would hook up to... Uh, uh, man, I don't even remember what it was called. I think it was just, I think it was called iChat. You had iChat, and okay. it would automatically just pull in the voices into GarageBand and just magically put in the, the however many people into the number of tracks. And see, this was before smartphones, and, though. I think iPod obviously was around, but mm -hmm. uh, you would have to download it manually, and that, that's what I did for the NarniaWeb.com podcast for that fan site. I would just mm -hmm. download the MP3s and listen to them, usually on my laptop. And that's how I got uh, connected with you guys. It was uh, you and Glumpuddle. And um, how, just real quick before we start with our, you know, with our movie exploration here, like how did you get started uh, with, that, with that podcast? It started off really uh, kind of almost by happenstance. I saw Steve Jobs do the keynote debuting GarageBand. And he made it look really, really easy. And I thought, Wow. And I, so I, I did like my first little episode. It was just like, I don't even, I probably still have it on a dead hard drive somewhere. Just like a funny, like five minute episode about Narnia stuff. And then I thought, okay, I wonder if I could do like a really short uh, podcast. I'm trying to remember when this was probably 2005. Cause the Narnia movie was the first Narnia movie. The line that went to the wardrobe was about to come out. And so there was lots of news happening all the time. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll do a short podcast with just me talking called Narnia news in a nutshell. And I started it and, uh, then, and, uh, Tyrion over at narniaweb.com uh, gave me a shout out one time. I got a few more listeners and then, and by a few, I mean like a few, like we're, we're it's like that scene from, uh, uh, Arrested Development. Like, there are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens, small but powerful, and and the, and and the so, numbers do not win a battle. Hey, I said it. And then they highlighted me. They said, "Hey, what if we synced up our April Fool's joke with Narnia News in a nutshell, so that we were they were reporting the same thing from two different sources?" Right. I remember. So we that, collaborated yes. on that. The world's very first crossover, and then it it became a, a big you know, Disney franchise after that. But uh, we did that. And then people, uh, I started having people on and then it, it wasn't, it started getting longer. It wasn't like a five to 10 minute episode anymore. So I think we, the first episode was uh, the Narnia web council. And that just had multiple Narnia webers on it. And we'd get 
people from it just kind of morphed over time because uh, the community kind of morphed over time too. Um, but then I kind of went through a different phase where I uh, kind of honestly started getting a little bit burned out. I've been doing it like for ten years, and uh, Glumpuddle said basically he would start to basically act like a kind of a, a producer uh, on, for the podcast. And I kind of became uh, a little bit more secondary in the podcast and I wasn't in every single episode. And so now it's called Talking Beasts and uh, Glumbuddle's in pretty much every episode. I'm in a lot of them and uh, Jim Fan uh, is in as w- a lot as well. And we had some guests on. Uh, we've had Anna Popwell on. We've had Dr. Michael Ward on. Um, oh, wow. We've had David from Pints with Jack, which is another. And Georgie uh, Henley was on there uh, just, uh, yep, just a few Georgie Henley's been on. Ago. Yeah, she played uh, Lucy. Anna Popplewell played Susan. Yep. I think the very first technical interview we had, I think it was, it was uh, I think it was Narnia Web Council. And we had Ben Barnes on for like five minutes. Uh, I was able to do a brief phone call with him. So it, it's been a lot of fun. And we've discussed the books. We discussed the movies. We've discussed the movie news. We've discussed themes in the books. Sometimes it will do a whole series diving into a book. You know, I think we did like a, a Prince Caspian commentary that was in length of audio, like four times the length of the movie. Yes, we did something similar with the Void to the Dawn Treader. So we'll be pulling from a little of that later uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and we did movie commentaries too, where like they're like live commentaries where you can watch the movie and watch our commentaries on the movies. Um, but it's been a lot of fun and it's, it's, uh, a really fun group of people and the, the forum kind of comes into it too, because narnyweb.com has a very active, uh, web forum and, uh, there's some people whose voices we've never heard, but they are frequently like their thoughts kind of come into the podcast because we'll quote them from a comment or a post on the forum. And so it, it is kind of a, it really is a community life effort. And, uh, yeah, I've been doing it, I guess, since 2005. So that's as long as maybe the 2006. Film it was like franchise. it was like right after the yes. Prince Caspian was greenlit. Oh yeah, yeah. Which would have been after the uh, the December 2005 release of the Lion, yep. the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, that's really great to hear uh, again about the actors on the Talking Beast podcast. And just to reiterate, that podcast is still going under the name Talking Beast. I've got the page up right now, and I'm uh, just uh, rather amused again to see the quote from Stephen McFeely, one of the Narnia film screenwriters, saying, "Quote Glumpuddle ellipsis." I have issues with you, end quote. Yeah. Uh, this is I now from a red carpet <laughs> event or something where he, he quoted or, or cited, I guess, Glumpuddle, one of the hosts on the podcast. Well, this man may have helped to, to co-write uh, Avengers uh, Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, but Glumpuddle is now running the podcast, so we can just see who exactly has been more successful <laughs> Who will there. live in infamy? Yeah, just to step back, uh, NarniWeb.com, uh, that website for fans of the Chronicles of Narnia, and a lot of C.S. Lewis's other works, has been around for longer than the films have released. Uh, Tyrion, the founder, last king of Narnia, started that in the early 2000s, and uh Really, and you and I have been uh, active with that site. Well, I, I haven't been active there in a while, I must confess. Uh, but those were our forum names uh, back then, mm-hmm. of course, uh, with the old uh, bulletin board forums. You, you know, you had your nicknames even more than you have uh-huh. now. Uh, you were Rillian, and I was Dr. Elwin Ransom. So switching to yeah. another C.S. Lewis And it tells there. you how, how old that forum is and how, how early I got on because my username is just Rillian. Just really, no one uh, else not, had. Not a number. No one else had taken yeah. that yeah, character. Yeah, no, really. Really, zero zero seven. 
Irelian is the lost prince in yes, uh, lost in underworld in uh, the silver chair, which is book four, four. which which I haven't read yet. So, yeah, so uh, yeah, we can't no, spoil it. That's so true. I, right. But uh, well, you learn that at the beginning. So, you know, it, yeah. he is, the, it's the, the holy quest for the lost prince. Yeah. He's yes, on the back. I, I am the, I am the newbie or the normie, whatever you want to call me for, uh, for Narnia. So I've read magician's nephew, Lion witch and Prince Caspian. Although did I, now that I, I can't remember if I finished Prince Caspian, but anyway, I'm rereading them cause I got the full, the, uh, the full series in hardback. If, so the, like uh, one okay. if the river was turned to wine, then you finished Prince Caspian because that, that's a, that's an image. that doesn't quite okay. leave you, especially if you're 10 to 11 years old in a Christian household, wondering what in the heck is with Bacchus and Silenus and how is this a <laughs> Christian book again? Uh, anyway, uh, for more answers on that, uh, you might want to visit Narnia web or, uh, listen to the talking beast podcast. Yeah. Just a quick note, just kind of zooming out for a second. You know, it's interesting. So Narnia web came out what year now? 2005 okay no 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 so narnia was... webb the movie did narnia webb is a few years before yeah i'm trying okay. to remember i want to say 2003 or 2004 right because facebook was 2005 or 2006 right yeah somewhere around there so so your your website predates facebook so here's the interesting thing your your website is what so many websites were it was a fan-based bulletin board essentially like mm-hmm. I, I was on one called dragonmount.com for wheel of time fans uh, right okay. around the same time and then along comes social media which kind of swallows up all of these communities into mm-hmm. like facebook groups but now so many people are exiting facebook and maybe mm-hmm. they're going to MeWe or parlor or they're going back to these sort of affinity websites um, th- there's some political ones I follow. There's the Babylon B, which has kind of created its own community mm-hmm. and it, not just that website, but all their kind of other properties together. Um, and there's some other ones just based on different fandoms. So it's, it's interesting how we're kind of coming back full circle to these sorts of websites. Like they haven't died off at all. And we wondered at one point what was going to happen. Cause at one point we even wondered, you know, is, is Narnia web going to become a Facebook community that, has a website we see a lot of the same a lot of the same posters um but i don't think it ever quite became that i think in many ways the, the one thing i think the biggest way in which narnia web changed in terms of how the discussion continued the comments are uh, a huge part of the discussion now the forum is still very much a, a thing but not exclusively there's a lot of discussion in comments on articles comments on podcast episodes and that was not frankly it wasn't a website feature you know back in the day people didn't you know you didn't comment on an article the right. same way well, back in you may remember in too the, the word blog really came into vogue also in 2005 uh, that that word was not in the common speech mm. very much before that year there was a whole scandal yeah. with dan rather and then you know their bloggers took him down uh, by uh, exposing some weird documents and such. And suddenly everyone was saying, blog, 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 the future is in blogs. So forums didn't just predate uh, social media like Facebook. Uh, the forums, the bulletin board, you know, that genre of web page had been around even before people started bandying about the term blog. And Narnia yeah. Web has survived this whole time and it's it's still there. And man, if yeah. I have more time, I would love to be, be more active there. again. Yeah. yeah, it's still there. And, uh, and And even with other things like, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not very active on Facebook. Uh, my, yeah, I'm very active on Twitter, uh, Prince underscore Rillian, uh, where I'm commenting on really like 
books, movies, literature, TV shows, stuff like that. Uh, which is one of the sad things with 2020 is it used to be like, oh, this is my wonderful, fun Twitter feed. It's not political at all. <laughs> and then 2020 hits it like it's the most political thing I've ever seen. It's like well, every not, single not actor. Not if you stick with Zack Snyder Twitter. I mean, uh, you know, uh, QAnon Twitter or, you know, political scandal Twitter. Uh, or that's UFO a, Twitter. That's a, yeah. yeah. Or I mean, well, <laughs> the, the first two I mentioned, like th- those can be very <laughs> discouraging places. They're a little bit more. Uh, like the you know the the slave mines of oh, Kalorman, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, the Zack Snyder verse Twitter that was a fun place to be in 2020, and and you know the more DC fandom version of Twitter the better. Rillian's <laughs> tweets, of course, also always a highlight. Underscore Rillian on Twitter. Few quick stats here, taking your mind back to those thrilling days of the mid 2000s, uh, early 2000s. I was at a summer camp and there was a rumor about from a couple of people hey, Disney just bought the rights to film movies based on C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, joy, maybe. And then shortly thereafter, I think 2004, there was a giant ad in the New York Times. I have that page in my office now that said these thrilling words there are what is it a thousand stories in the land of narnia the first is about to be told from oh it's the one with the sword right that's the one yes the sword that that never made it into the movie uh, yes so you know it's kind of stock art looking but you can see some of the original art inspirations that did make it into the marketing uh, you know Uh after a few more iterations the film was produced by a company called walden media and distributed by walt disney pictures so technically it's a disney movie I don't know if that makes Peter and Edmund Disney princesses or Susan or princes. Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Or that it makes Susan and Lucy Disney princesses uh, released in the United States on December the 9th, 2005. I don't think they qualify because they didn't make it into Wreck-It Ralph 2 as Disney princesses. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, they they, they didn't have their quasi uh, chibi versions. That's true. Uh, However, I think think, uh, Princess Leia, of course, is a Disney princess. Uh, this movie released on December 9th, 2005, uh, striking a joy into the hearts of um, a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of Christians in the United States and beyond. Uh, it was a great ordeal to be part of that original fandom. And I think my siblings and I actually went in cosplay, this thing called cosplay. Didn't even have a label then a week early. <laughs> we saw it in uh, northern Kentucky slash uh, Cincinnati with a bunch of McDonald's employees, I think. Uh, the budget, by the way, was $180 million, shot mostly in uh, New Zealand, actually. And it yep. earned $745 million, according to the wiki copy of that. Uh, really, you and I were part of the the fan buildup for that. Like, Do you have any particular memories of what it was like waiting for a very favorite book of a very favorite series to be turned into this uh, this you know, multi-million dollar you know, Big budget film, especially just a couple of years after we had seen the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy in theaters. Yeah, I didn't have quite the cynicism I do now, but I I was kind of cautiously optimistic. But I think the I remember probably the, some of the biggest feelings of elation I got was when the first real teaser trailer was came out, and it. What I loved was it was just it, it was there it was there was Narnia in this. You know, live actors the actors look great aslan oh it was great and, no, that was a know, great teaser yeah and uh you know you had the white witch and and all these things were coming to life and it literally looked like they were um being done well and so that was that was probably the one of the most exciting uh moments for me yeah how did you actually see the film uh, really 
I'm trying for to the first time. Well, I was in my hometown still. I saw it. Uh, I would have seen it probably opening night. And uh, I think I saw, I, I, don't I didn't see it. I was never one of those guys who went to movies like a time. Like, oh, I'm going to see it eight times in theaters. I never did that. Uh, but I saw it multiple times, probably two or three times in theaters. And uh, I, and I think part of the thing, again, it was a relief that it was overall a very positive experience. You know, right away, you, there, were, there were criticisms. Certainly once you started to step back and kind of analyze how some of the, the more nuanced aspects of the book are treated. In, in the narrative, like in the book, Aslan truly is the central figure. Amen. Uh, there is no question about it. Aslan is the central figure, and there is no doubt why winter is melting and spring is coming. It's because Aslan has returned. In the movie, there is a, a somewhat subtle but very real shift in the dialogue and in the narration of the, this, the story to make it more about the kids and not so much about Aslan. Exactly. And so Father Christmas like, says, yeah. Well, go ahead. He says the hope that you have brought your majesties is, has weakened the witch's power. Uh, yeah, which is direct quote. Not I'm pretty from... sure that's a direct quote. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, James Cosmo, as we <laughs> mentioned in a previous episode, actually, it, it's a it's a very respectful treatment of Lewis's Father Christmas, and yet that line is part mm -hmm. of that little slight skewing towards you know uh, yeah. uh, humanistic empowerment. There, just just a little undercurrent more in the film than there is in the book, to be sure. Yeah, and uh, and so. Things like that were did, you know, were noticeable. But uh, part of it was a relief because there was this thought that it would. I mean, I still think I could argue that the Narnia movies were a cash grab to to fill a void after the Lord of the Rings, and uh, you know, of course, Harry Potter was still going on, still coming out. Um, but they thought, ooh, you know, we'll do we'll do something else that will grab some of that fantasy audience. But I think part of it was it was it was it was a cash grab, but it was much more than that. It was not just that. And it was, I think, more so than that. It was this, oh, fantasy will be respected. Fantasy will be taken as a serious uh, film, uh, yeah. a serious art and not just be derided. Uh, which you know, I, I kind of liked Willow as a kid, but uh, oh, you too. know, people make jokes about Willow. You know, they make and, and no one talks about the Dungeons and Dragons movie uh, that came out <laughs> uh, around that same time as Lord of the Rings. I think just before Lord of the Ring, the Fellowship of the Ring. And so, the fact that a fantasy film got Best Picture, got all these accolades, people thought, okay, people will watch fantasy and take it as a serious medium. And I think that though the Chronicles of Narnia movies were uh, partly a response to that as well. Okay, so there was always a opposition to a Narnia movie from C.S. Lewis himself, right? And I, I had to go look up the quote, but uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about this quote at length. In his letter to Lance Sieveking, he says, quote, but I am absolutely opposed. Adamant isn't in it to a TV version. Anthropomorphic animals, when taken out of narrative into actual visibility, always turn into buffoonery or nightmare, at least with photography. Cartoons, if only Disney did not combine so much vulgarity with his genius, would be another matter. A human pantomime Aslan would be to me blasphemy. So, yeah, like that that's always kind of existed within the Narnia fandom, right? Is this kind of skepticism of could there ever be a good Narnia movie since it features this talking lion? Yeah. And uh, I, I think it really blew away that uh, skeptic, the movie itself just really blew that out of the water. It, I it think was so. So much better. Because I think what people understood that what you were going to end up with before, and when I say before, I mean like 20 years plus before, 
um, which, you know, C.S. Lewis never lived to see the 1970s, much less the 80s yeah, and 90s. The BBC um, version. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, you were going to end up with like a BBC Aslan or a like a Mary Poppins live action uh, children with a cartoon lion. Or you're going to end up with like a Ralph Bakshi type telling of the Chronicles of Narnia uh, or, or like the Land of the Wardrobe movie, um, the animated film, and which has its merits. I'm not completely you know, knocking that film. It does have its merits. But uh, I think that people back in the time that Lord of the Rings or Narnia or uh, uh, George McDonald's books were being written. I think people had no real concept of the type of photorealism that would be, mm-hmm. uh, it could be accomplished in the future with fantasy. Right. A lot of the visual effects of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in 2005 still hold up fairly well. I mean, there's some yeah, moments in the final battle where, okay, you know, that this, you know, okay, we got some CG creatures. You no, know, the, the yeah. animation is great, but, you know, the photorealism is, is stretched a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not so much objections that fans would have to, you know, the appearance or the idea of making a Narnia film as uh, at least from my memory at the time, fans really wanted at least a lot of fans on Narnia web. And I'm one of them really wanted the themes to carry through. And uh, yeah. really, and you already mentioned, you know, the, the, the little edge of humanism there, which uh, I think got a little bit more uh, intense as the films progressed. And there were three films total uh, mm-hmm. before the voyage of the Dawn Treader in, in 2010. Uh, that was kind of uh, kind of took on a little too much ballast there uh, with uh, with the expectation of, you know, the, the human, the prophesied human fulfillment, you know, like you have yeah. everything you need inside of you if you just believe and so on. And we'll get to that in a moment. But with the line of watching the wardrobe, uh, not just the appearance of director Andrew Adamson was a visual effects uh, expert before taking on this uh, this uh, director job. He'd done a couple of Shrek movies. So people were a little worried that, you know, yeah, so you're skeptical. gonna have oh, Shrek Narnia with fart it. jokes. Oh, no. oh yeah. yeah, and he did Shrek one and Shrek two. Uh, not not three or four though. But people thought, oh, oh, great. You know, this is the guy. You know, with the bathroom humor. Uh, talk about uh, buffoonery or nightmare, as Lewis said, or or vulgarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adamson, to his great credit, uh, did not put any of that into Narnia. You know, the worst you get is you know maybe the the beavers being uh, you know a little bit more uh, you know typical working class you know little kind of that uh, pointless banter that they have yeah and and yet you know the best kinds of fans i think are not going to nitpick that or 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 complain that there's an action uh, beat in the middle with the frozen waterfall uh or see that the battle has been fleshed out you know i i didn't mind the battle being taken to a much wider you know more middle earth scale uh for a grand finale to the lion the witch and the wardrobe just so it was clear that Aslan is the one who turns the tide of battle. And the film did show that. And ultimately, I think by the end, it, it was Aslan's world. You know, he got his mm-hmm. due as well. He should as well. Any, uh, I think, faithful Narnia fan should rightfully expect of any adaptation for these stories. But you could see one thing that was interesting with the, the movie was there were certain things that started to take life during the production. Uh, that revealed itself in the editing. And so if you watch the film, the way they had initially planned it out, they kind of caught themselves. They almost had like a, a Return of the King Sauron moment where you know they filmed Sauron fighting Aragorn in the Return of the oh, King. Oh, yes. And then the they, they yes. realized, they went full circle. They thought, well, we really need to... And then they realized, 
we've completely taken the focus away from Frodo in the ring. So let's get rid of Sauron and replace him with a troll, right? And yeah, to their credit, uh, yeah, they fixed to their it. Credit, they yeah. caught it. They caught themselves. And mm-hmm. in the line limits of the wardrobe, the plan was okay, we'll have we'll have Aslan uh come to uh you know come to life and uh then we'll and he'll rise from the dead and after that we'll start getting to the real climax of the story which is the battle and so they film you know went through all the scenes that way and then they got into editing and they realized well now we've completely taken away the focus on aslan now it's like a, a subplot and so what they did is they re-edited it and put the aslan moments like re- resurrection scene in the midst of the battle so that there would be more focus on Aslan, which is why if you watch the film, the sunlight is off. The sun has not, the sun rises when Aslan has uh, rises from the dead, but the battle starts, but well before that scene and the sun is high in the sky. That's right. why there's yeah. a, a lighting oh, error. There it, 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 or oh, that always bothered me, but I could put my finger on yeah, it. That's yeah. The, uh, the, the that's why there's a lighting incongruity there, because they, they plan it out <laughs> one way like, or, by lighting correctly and then they realized it messed up the narrative so they tried to fix it well i would much prefer a lack of lighting continuity there uh sacrificed for a, a greater fidelity to thematic continuity it is so important in the story of the line the witch and wardrobe that when aslan is dead there's no hope any battle that you fight is a losing mission and yet it's only it's only aslan returning to life and bringing back in the now similarly resurrected captives uh that actually turns the tide yeah. of battle and the film does show that by having it, it aslan does show storm it. In unfortunately it's minute. very abbreviated it is a uh, focus on him uh mm-hmm. saving everyone from the witch's castle which it is, is yes it, yeah, it is we, more of a like martial conflict of and so yeah I missed you giant know. rumble buffing uh, kicking in the door yep. so that it, or tearing down the wall so everyone could get out. Well, you know, to this Lewis quote about, you know, this concern about buffoonery, I, I remember holding my breath during the battle scene because it was just a few years before that we had seen the disaster that was the Phantom Menace and, you know, that <laughs> yeah. battle scene of the Gungans versus the droids. And it was, first of all, it was just so cartoonish, but but because all of the characters in that battle scene were CG, it, it just lacked any realism. And, and, you know, everyone joked it was like the uh, Microsoft Windows background uh, for the, oh my the goodness, hill there. Right. Oh, that's right. The Windows yeah. XP. <laughs> yeah. Years later. Holy cow. And, I can't unsee it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, it's, now that movie is a lot better compared to uh, episode seven, but we were episode eight, but we won't go there. Zach shot first. Um, but you know that the, what makes the Narnia battle scene so good is that the human characters are there. I'm obviously on both sides because you got the witch on the other side, and so that sort of grounds it. It's not just all these you know cartoon animals fighting each other. It's actual characters, and it sort of brings that realism. But I mean, obviously the CG had improved by then. Well, so but did the still, practical it, effects. Yeah, w- right. w- Weta, yeah. Weta had done that. No, it wasn't Weta. It was uh, Howard Berger's uh, workshop, was it not? It did the practical effects, uh, really. And it was, uh, I mean, there were practical Minotaur suits and uh, Cyclops. And, he, he, no, I think it was cool Weta creatures. Workshop and Weta Digital. It was Weta okay. Workshop and Weta yeah. Digital. Yeah, so uh, they both Mr. Tumnus and uh, the, the centaurs. Yeah, yeah. The, still and, and the best think... on-screen centaurs, way better than the Harry Potter centaurs. You know, one thing I've learned watching... Uh, 
different different films, how different visual effects are managed. Sometimes I think people think, oh, great, a visual effects guy is going to come in and be too reliant on visual effects. Oftentimes that's not the case because they know that you can't just wave a magic wand. They know what's feasible and what's not. And so, you know, the visual effects guys looked and said, huh, you know what's, you know, what would be the best way to do a, a centaur realistically in this scene is if we just film a horse and film a man walking and we'll just trans, you know, put one on top of the other. Mm. And all we have to manage is some blending and match the movement. And we'll have a very realistic looking horse because it's actually a, a filmed horse body and a filmed human body. And so that, and, and there's still some of the best tour, uh, centaurs that you've seen. You know, they, the Harry Potter ones just didn't come close because someone decided yeah, we're, we're far enough. We can just do the entire thing digitally. Yeah. And it doesn't hold up well, especially in the earlier films. <laughs> and so sometimes you have those, those moments where the visual effects guy knows what trick ways to trick the human mind, you know, and like, okay, we need to focus on this. Like, like the fact that if the line was the wardrobe were made today, they very well may, uh, certainly if they did it during the 3d craze where you had to have every movie come out in 3d as well, they would have filmed every single part of the battle would have been a, like a digital background but a lot of the battle was actually photographed it was filmed it might have been just peter charging on a a, a horse with nothing else around him but he's in it's it's really peter it's really william mosley it's a real horse and it's a real real grass real dirt and real rocks around him and then when you can do that you put in other uh you just put the other bits in and the mind you know can kind of be tricked easier I, I think like the movie behind enemy lines the scene where the f uh 14 gets shot down in north korea i'm sure that's the wrong plane someone will correct me i'm sure tweet at me <laughs> <laughs> but what they did for the opening scene they filmed the woods they filmed the ground they they went they took a like a plane and just got aerial photography of this valley so that they could just use real footage of the ground and trees and stuff so that way the only thing that your mind has to be tricked into believing is this digital plane which is all metal and is much easier to do so sometimes those visual effects guys can know how to trick the mind better i think they did a really good job with the line what's the wardrobe way better than probably the other two movies to be honest well, let me let me pick up here with an allegory. I'm going to try an allegory, even though no, no, Narnia can't is do allegory. not this is C.S. an allegory. No, and I'm doing the allegories. I'm not saying that Narnia is an allegory. We have certainly explored that in previous episodes of Fantastical Truth. But similarly, the mind is really great at compositing uh, uh, virtual animated themes, you know, that uh, that aren't necessarily practical or drawn from C.S. Lewis's book, if they're being portrayed on screen alongside, you know, the the real themes that are coming from. Lewis's book, you know, that suddenly have tangibility and that have weight and your mind registers like, okay, that's real. And then if you put something else alongside that, that may be, you know, animated in a computer, uh, such as, uh, you know, hey, you are the best person, Lucy, because you were the one who first discovered Narnia. And then the, the mind is tricked and thinks, oh, yeah, that sounds kind of spiritual. You know, just like the idea that mm-hmm. uh, Aslan is the king of all the wood and uh, is in charge of this world which unfortunately is increasingly the effect that you get in the last uh, of these three Narnia films from Walden Media, uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, in, uh, that released in December of 2010. Of course, there was a film in between, uh, Prince Caspian, which released in 2008, and the only reason why we're not talking about it now is because there's not an anniversary 
uh, and uh, otherwise we would. Uh, that one actually came out in the summer of 2008. So kind of breaking the right pattern between there. Indiana Jones four and Iron Man. Yes, uh, terrible I think, uh, time to release I, that Iron movie. Man, the first <laughs> Iron Man movie, and this was like, like kind of the final of the fantasy heyday there, and then suddenly everybody's all about superheroes. You know, it's just Spider-Man, Batman, Iron Man, bunch of mans. Uh, in, in this case, uh, you had Walden Media producing the movie again, but this time uh, Disney, after Prince Caspian, didn't uh, continue the legacy like they'd wanted. Disney said, yeah, you know, we're out. Uh, you know, feel free to try your luck with it, other studios. So 20th Century Fox tried their luck. Yep. Uh, of course, 20th Century Fox is now owned by Disney. So all three films are Disney Plus, folks. Exactly. Uh, Dawn Treader released in the U.S. on December 10th of 2010, as we record this uh, just about a week ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Its budget was a little lower, 140 to $155 million, and it earned $415 million. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, and keep in mind, this was still in the four. days when, like, when, when The Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe came out, it earned $750 million, which back then, I know that everyone here is like, that was a lot. Know, that's like, that's a lot of money back then. Yeah. That was 15 years ago. That was a lot of money. Nowadays, a if a movie makes globally. less than a billion, people are like, what? You know, Man of Steel yeah, came out. At like, least that's what? how it was back million? in like, the really? uh, pre-pandemic days. Maybe the standards will be reset now. I, I kind of would like that because I, I grow weary of every big budget blockbuster film being treated like a horse race and it's all about the numbers rather than you know whether fans like it uh whether fans like it speaking of which uh, you know really by by that point uh we'd been through some ups and downs in the narnia fandom Uh, i think we still had a lot of appreciation for the line of witch in the wardrobe but there was some stuff in prince caspian especially that climactic kiss at the end that fans did not like the humanism moments were ramped up a little bit. The, the minimization of Aslan had increased in Prince Caspian. So we maybe had our expectations a little lower for Don Treader, especially after it switched directors and studios. What do you remember about the lead up to the voyage of the Don Treader? Uh, well, Don Treader was just for background. My expectations were different than Prince Caspian, partly because one, it's my favorite book. And uh, of course, Don Treader was when it was first written, it was considered to be a, a potential ending of a trilogy with the line with the wardrobe, Prince Caspian and Don Treader. And they do yeah, the three Lewis's of them. Third work book, very nicely. Yes. It, it is. And it's about the end of the world, not Armageddon, but it is about literally <laughs> reaching the end of, Oh, we're at the end of the world now. So it's a, uh, it works well as a trilogy. It's my favorite book. Many fans rank it the best. I do as well. So there was that I had really high hopes not necessarily high expectations, but high hopes. And then Michael Apted came on and there were, I, I vaguely remember some comments he made about kind of secularization in, in, in his stories. And I, I it kind of made me a little more skeptical, but he had also directed Amazing Grace, uh, which so is he was William Christian. Wilberforce, William right. Wilberforce, which is a, yeah. I, I, and I've watched the movie multiple times since. I think it holds up still today. It's, it's a, a very good movie. It's a and very, it has- it's mm-hmm. character-driven film. It yes. truly is an actor and character-driven film. Uh, it has a good flow. It's well-written. It has a powerful story. Well, it's always going to be a powerful story because it's William Wilberforce, but it does a good job telling the powerful story and portraying it well on screen. So I was pretty optimistic initially, and then yeah, the rumors started coming in about how they... I quickly realized once we started learning more about the story and once the trailers started coming out, they don't 
get it. There, no. Some stories have a villain. Not every great work has a villain, uh, or or even or not this not an archetypal villain. Like when you, if you ask a six year old, what's the definition of a villain? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe has the White Witch as a true, uh, a satanic villain. Really, yeah, kind of more the modern template of a villain: a Voldemort, yes. a Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Voyage of the Dawn Treader is has a villain in the sense that Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment has a villain. It's a much more introspective study about ourselves and human nature. Uh, there are little little bad characters along the way. Um, Governor Gumpus, it, yes, yeah, in, in kind of an a, a Homer's in a Homer's Odyssey type sense. But uh, you know, Homer's Odyssey doesn't have a master villain, and and neither does the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But they had to create; they wanted to create one. They didn't have to, and they decided to bring back the White Witch. Uh, spoiler alert! I think once I realized they were going to bring in a big villain, kind of as this weird mist that becomes the witch and stuff, and becomes the sea serpent. I thought once I learned they were going to do that, I realized they they just don't get it, and so I kind of quickly lost hope for the film. Yeah, right. They nuked the fridge there. Well, just a bit. And it, was, it wasn't it was just, oh, well, we got to have a villain. All fantasy movies have to have a villain. It's in the rules. Harry Potter is a fantasy film, and then at the top of the game, and they've got a villain, Lord Voldemort, with some lesser yeah. villains along the way, possibly Snape and Dolores Umbridge. I mean, it's, we, them's the rules. Yeah, oh, and they continue, because we rules. saw the White Witch and Prince Caspian briefly. We'll, we'll have the same villain villain in every, right. every movie and, and, and we And the do, fact that know. Tilda Swinton is a class act and really enjoys playing the White Witch, you know, certainly didn't hurt. I'm, I'm sure it also made her, you know, a little <laughs> less expensive to get. But she literally is a cameo at the end of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader film, and and yet she was in a lot of the posters as if she was a central figure. She is not, even in that story. But the biggest issue there is that they turned what the book was an episodic quest to find the Seven Lords, and then, oh, by the way, what if we could sail beyond and actually reach Aslan's country? Maybe this world of Narnia is bigger than we thought, and wouldn't it be worth anything, anything, just to catch a glimpse beyond the veil into that paradise and that is the theme which is personified by Reepicheep's memory of a childhood rhyme that he was told and as Reepicheep says in the book the spell of it has been on me ever since and the theme of that book the spell that is supposed to be caught by the reader as well is Aslan's country is worth anything to reach more than Narnia more than swashbuckling more than all the good pleasures in this good magical land and when you say really and that the filmmakers didn't seem to understand that, uh, this is where, unfortunately, all of those humanistic moments that were kind of uh, growing more in Prince Caspian uh, all, all rush up to the surface now. Uh, and you turn what was this introspective film about, you know, Eustace's undragoning and uh, Lucy and Edmund trying to figure out how they fit into the you know, Narnian after their rule. That story now has become just another fetch quest movie. You find the seven swords, uh, lords, yep. strictly optional. Put them together. Shoot the sky <laughs> beam. Beat yep. the green mist. Slash. Don't Emerald cross the Witch. streams while doing it. Yeah, don't do that. And you know, and watch out for the the imagined uh, sea serpent that comes up. You know, a few islands uh, being smashed together there at the very last. That's like Dragon Island, Dark Island, and the sea serpent. Uh, a side quest from the book. It all kind of put together into the finale. Yeah. Yeah, it, it I, I just, kind of have this rule that the, the more the the easier it is to translate your film into a video game, it's gonna it's only gonna <laughs> it's only gonna hurt. Right. Probably the only yeah. exception to that is John Wick. But <laughs> um, that, well, that's, other, that's true. 
other than that, um, no, it, it, it just made me sad because again, it was the best. And, and another thing that was kind of interesting, you know, Adrian Adamson loves the Voyage of the Dawn Treader and it was his favorite book. And he even said he so in, and it's interesting. I, I wonder what, how it would have turned out. I can't help but think it would have been better. I think almost assuredly it would have been better. Partly because I think he just genuinely cared, even if he would have gotten it wrong. You know, he got some things wrong in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Right. Um, you know, he said he wanted to get rid of Father Christmas. He's like, ah, eh, Father Christmas doesn't make sense to me. And ah, the deeper magic doesn't make sense to me from Beyond the Dawn. That doesn't make sense. So he got rid of some things or tried to. And, uh, it, but it wasn't out of a malice or a complete disregard for the book. It's just because it just didn't register with him. And I, I just don't think that there was the same kind of love for the, uh, story in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and right. he actually well, said an wanted of it. He wanted to skip Prince Caspian and make this Voyage of the Dawn Treader the second film. Huh. He really wanted to do that. He just could not find a way to be faithful to Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and uh, while having to introduce this whole new character of Caspian at the same time. And he said he could never figure out how to how to do it in the story, and so he didn't. He didn't pursue that. He ended up being Prince Caspian. And then after spending like five years in New Zealand, he said, uh, or, or, or he, just on those two films, uh, he said it was just kind of for family reasons. He had to break off and let someone else take the helm. Well, we will have to leave the fate of the Andrew Adamson directed Void to the Dawn Treader film in, in Earth 2. Uh, that would have been nice to see. I mean, fans, uh, there's lots of fans who like The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And when we recorded the Narnia Web podcast episodes, we were going through and just kind of ripping it. And, you know, we, we always try to be mindful. I know Glumpuddle was especially mindful of fans who did like it. And it does have its yeah. defenders. And on its own, it, it's an okay movie. You know, definitely, I think, skews a little younger with the audience and kind of goes out of its way to overexplain. See the green mist. You will know this character is being tempted uh it's a bit of a visual cue yeah. there it, a, a lot of stuff is just way too obvious and some some stuff is just is just silly just kind of the stereotype of the the old style of fantasy movies you know where you just i, I can't take this seriously and eustace yeah, is great random. uh you know the, the casting is still very good ben barnes is great you know uh, there's yeah no, he finally no got rid of the weird half yeah, he did get rid spanish of the half one, italian so, yeah, accent, accent. Yeah. i, I kind of liked that accent uh, especially with um uh, miraz in, in prince caspian I, I don't mind saying that i dug well, the accent Sergio Castellito is actually actors. an italian actor who, who can't right. he can he can he barely was speak excellent English. miraz he, he couldn't I mean, even not... read he had to have the script translated he gave you memorize the script like in italian and then like had like oh, people I translated so, into sort of english because andre he, the giant he style okay. be able to understand it well enough yeah, um, he's no, a that good makes actor. Sense. Um, yeah, very good. I mean, there's a lot to like about Prince Caspian too, and we can get yes, into that indeed. in the future episode. But the Don Treader, I think most fans just didn't well, we, find as much to like. Unfortunately, we don't even discuss it much on Narnia because what we said it, we said it all, and, and at some point, like it's not very. It feels kind of like we're, you know, stop, t- stop, he's already dead. Down. Like we're beating <laughs> yeah. a dead horse, you know. Like, right. We don't, or people know we're our thoughts dragon. on it, and like. Why talk about unhappy subjects over and over and over and over again? I mean, it's especially when it's 2020. Right. Uh, I have to bring in Zach here because Zach, uh, a, a bit ago, you said that you, you like the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So we, we don't want to we don't want to thwack on it uh, if, if it is something that you enjoy. Like, what is something that you like about it? And we can you know then say, yeah. OK, this is, our, this is our token praise for it before we, <laughs> before we start wrapping up. Well, so keep in mind, I saw Don Treader after 
Caspian w- without ever reading Don Treader. Yeah, and so for me, it was just like, okay, does this movie make sense following the previous movie? And parts of it did, and parts of it seemed very consistent. You know, you, you've got Eustace, who's kind of, he's got a really interesting character arc. And it, it's like you said, really, and he, it, the villain in this is kind of subtle. And so it's like how, you know, he is sort of a villain to start off with, but then he ends up, he, he's sort of like Edmund in this, you know, in this story. Yeah. And, and it takes until the end until he really turns around and Aslan directly tears off the dragon scales from him. But, and it's funny cause I've heard people kind of get down in the movie because of that. It's like, Oh, that's so direct. And that's so on the nose. I'm like, what? And a, a lion that dies for someone and comes back right. to life isn't, you know, I'm breaking the stone. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, everything is kind of obvious when you think about it. But I, I guess for me, it it's really just a matter of not knowing which of the major story elements don't fit with the book. But sure. I, I feel like if there's, if there's any weakness in it, it's that they didn't lean strongly enough on Eustace's character arc because that, to me, that was the best part of it. It probably was the best part of the movie and he was probably the best single casting choice. Certainly he did such a good job and he really does epitomize him from the book. Will Poulter. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, and that those parts of it, especially in the first half of the film are are really well done. And it is a huge emphasis. It is a huge emphasis in the book. And and there's a even closer relationship between he and Reapy cheap. Um, and, uh, and in the book, I think what you'll find without giving anything, cause like the ending scenes, you know, of a reapy cheap leaving for Aslan's country, there's a very good flow with what happens to Eustace and then in his arc and then flowing into no pun intended flowing into uh reapy cheap leaving for Aslan's country. Blowing uh, up into. Yeah. But in the film, it kind of felt like an afterthought, like that, like oh, I guess Reapy Chief's leaving now. I guess this is the end of the world. And there were definitely good things about the film. Really, the first, really right up to where they get to the Lone Islands, it's pretty good uh, yeah. from a fan perspective. It, it really is pretty good. Even like the first few minutes of the Lone Islands, it's like oh, okay. Yeah, and then it starts to go askew with the whole there's an evil green mist that's capturing people, yeah. and that's what the slavers are feeding them to the mist in the sea, and. And unfortunately, I mean, can't get too far into the weeds here, but fans were aware of the existence of a leaked script, dun, 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 oh, uh, which uh, wow. was an even earlier version of the film, you know, probably not seriously meant, just, you know, more of an I- idea, uh, spec script perhaps, uh, but it had a lot of elements that did in weakened yeah. form make it into the final film, uh, Star Girl, a lot more emphasis on the star's daughter rather than Ramondu, the star himself. The green mist was there. At least we didn't have the, uh, what was it? The, what do we call it? Really in the soul eating cave of doom. I think uh, yeah. fan, fans came up with all kinds Zach, of Zach, I'm curious things. what you're going to think of the book. I'm really curious. That would be fantastic to circle back to that because I'm I, I really think the curious book will blow what your away. impression is going to be of the book. I hope uh, I didn't uh, overhype it. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's true. Well, the, the, the biggest thrust of the book really is just that, that, the, the the story throughout these uh, episodes, uh, you know, the episodic structure, you know, visiting these islands, uh, there there is a, um, a a joyous haunting of the the idea that you are moving closer to the edge of the world and what is going to happen. We've only stayed in Narnia for the past two books, and now we're venturing to the lands beyond. Like, is this a flat world? Are you going to sail over the edge? 
will you run up against a wall? You know, ha- what is going to happen? And it, it always is said, though, that Aslan comes to us from the east. If we're sailing east, what will we find? And there's this longing, this wonderful, I would say, biblical earnest craving for the beauty beyond uh, that is part of the book uh, that at least if you read it as a child you catch that feeling and lewis achieves what he'd hoped to do is you know demystifying these things and you know removing that uh, that stone cold barrier of the obligation to feel reverent and then it just ambushes you and i think that that emotion is particularly acute in the void to the dawn treader book not so much the film because it did become more of a quest movie. I guess people do like that sort of thing. I understand, but you know, a lot of fans knew what it could have been and we would have loved to have felt those themes on screen rather than just seeing them portrayed without a whole lot of weight given to them in the adaptation. Well, I think there are even some studio notes that I don't know if it was an interview or something that leaked where they basically said, well, we're, we're trying to make this, basically said, we're trying to make this more like Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, well, that's why you had to have a villain. I mean, you have to have a continuous villain to set up the next yes. film. And yeah, yeah and they, they wanted to have some kind of continuity in the villain. And, yeah. and it, part of the thing is, and I, I get this, if, if you were adapting The Lion, the Woods, the Wardrobe and no other, no other book into the a film, or, or not adapting it at all, you would probably do The Lion, the Woods, the Wardrobe as a, like a two and a half hour film. If you were going to adapt the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you would adapt it as a miniseries by default. Yes, like yes. maybe a six a six part miniseries uh, which, or a five part uh, miniseries. Which fans are kind of hopeful that that would be the approach uh, after uh, rumors swirled, and I, I think it's still technically in Netflix's plans to readapt Narnia. This is a reboot of the franchise, uh, not not continuous. I think with the with the current films. But I believe, really, and if you recall correctly, too, the original language was films or series. Like, they, they were leaving that open. I think at this had... point, it is films and series. Yeah. I think see, that what you're going to see is you're going to have, this is my prediction, be best of both worlds. and it's somewhat based in, well, I think what you're going to see, and I could be wrong, is you're going to see films based on the seven books and a... Um, in the same way you have the nine Star Wars chapters, nine Star Wars episodes, and then you have series filling in the gaps, exploring tangential stories. So think the Mandalorian, the Clone hair. Wars. That's what I predict, and I could be completely A wrong. giant surprise? <laughs> I, I wish yeah. they would just, I wish they would pull out of this Netflix deal and produce it through Disney+. Plus. Well, but, Disney's uh, the one probably, who already probably, did it. Right. But I, I, I just, it really disappoints me. It's, it's being produced through Netflix. There's yeah, Netflix is, um, well, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but they're just, they're pushing way too many boundaries and, and Disney plus is so much of a better family friendly platform now yeah. for original content. I think part of so, what, part of what worries me is Netflix was in uh, competition with Amazon for the Lord right. of the Rings TV show. Yes. Which is a whole nother set of, <laughs> a whole nother can of worms I won't get oh, into. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, We've talked about but that. But Netflix lost. Amazon won. And they, and I think there's a uh, possibility that, uh, well, people are trying to fill the Game of Thrones void right now. 
even Game of right. Thrones was trying to fill the Game of Thrones void with a a, <laughs> a prequel series that, that eventually got shut down, I think. And uh, I think on Daenerys' character, uh, I, I've never I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I, I'm only aware of it through the, like the news. Anyway, Amazon won the Lord of the Rings, very coveted, and now Netflix has Narnia, and so I think a lot of us see uh, it, it's possible they'll try to really push into like the family friendly programming and uh, go that route. They have started expanding some of their more, a little more age appropriate stuff, but right. I don't know. I am very skeptical about, about it. I don't think, it, and this is, this would launch into a whole nother discussion, but looking at how the art scene has shifted so much, I don't think that Peter Jackson would have the freedom to, and Philip Williams and Fran Walsh would have the freedom to do the Lord of the Rings the way they did it with the, the on a script level. No, I don't. Well, we've think already they seen would. what happened with The Hobbit because of, I mean, not just their fault or Peter Jackson's fault, but a lot of studio interference there. I think the two films, the three films, I think that was a studio thing. Yeah, Love Triangle also studio thing. And if you watch the behind the scenes of The yeah. Hobbit, and, and if they weren't pretty transparent to give about Peter that. Jackson deference on creative decisions, I right. don't think that any. I mean. We've seen this with uh, whether it's you know Ron Howard coming in to fix a Star Wars film, um, Joss know, Whedon coming studio... in to fix a Justice League film, exactly. And, and so there are. I think that right now we're in a mode where artists are not really valued for being artistic; they're valued for their capabilities of being able to produce a product, wherein the end result is already conjured up in the minds of the executives. And for a while, we were a little more optimistic because maybe we thought, well, maybe Netflix is a little more allowing people because it's a different business model, right? Allowing people to be a little more artistic. But I, I think I'm skeptical towards that. And also just the values that are being prioritized right now. I don't oh, yes. think that it's uh, going to go very well for uh, adaptations based on Lewis's works or Tolkien's works. Well, it it is unfortunate, and and I would call uh, I guess then uh, uh, really, and you and I both share a view of cautiously pessimistic then about Narnia on Netflix. Uh, this is not without precedent because Netflix now has its hand in two different fantasy franchise pots. The other one, a bit newer, the Avatar: The Last Airbender live action adaptation, we've been promised. But just a few months ago, the uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender uh, series creators departed the project. And then there was some commentary afterwards that apparently Netflix wanted to skew older, you know, age up the characters a little bit. And, you know, okay, so it's not it doesn't sound as disastrous on the surface as the 2010 movie from M. Night Shyamalan. But the charm of one of the most racist movies to come out in the last 20 years. What a strange plot twist that was. (laughs) Who came up with this 10 year anniversary retrospective on that one for you Avatar fans out there? And I'm one of you. Uh, but you know, you already see that happening with Netflix. You know, two very respected, you know, famous uh, creators of this groundbreaking animated uh, series who are still around, and fans had a lot of trust in the Netflix adaptation, live action adaptation, because they were there, uh, and and now they're not. You know, and of course, you know, the usual lines about creative differences get started, and well wishes, and you know, all of that stuff. Uh, But those of us who are a little bit more cautious can read between the lines and go, okay, you know, we're getting some, you know, corporate vision is is diverging from the creative vision there. And since it's the creators of the show, 
uh, going in another way, then yeah, you start to see the handwriting on the wall. This is going to be an adaptation that's a bit yeah. different from fan expectations. Well, and and that's really the key thing there, Stephen. Is I I feel like the engagement with the fans from Netflix is is nothing. It, it's, it's nothing. Like, it's yeah. it's it's totally nothing. And if you compare how they are adapting uh, the Expanse uh, or Wheel of Time, there's so much fan engagement, and man, it is just all over the place. And so they they are really tracking closely with what fans expect and and how and trying to stay true to the books in each of those adaptations. Obviously, you know, with Narnia, it's in it's way in pre-production. It's it's like in pre-development or whatever. But still, I, I don't see them at all is engaged with fans, and that to me, that's the number one most worrying thing about a, it. So. Yeah, and to t- dovetail on what Zach just said, we saw that with uh, Disney versus Fox. Disney yes. saw fans as free publicity. Like, hey, mm-hmm. they'll they'll bring people for us. This is also um, mid two thousands. It was kind of the early days of yeah, fandom on the internet, you know, really mobilizing was. on these and forums and Fox web pages. Saw, saw fans as an annoyance. Um, yeah, it was a and, step backward. For and sure. I, I do have to give Netflix credit. They they did uh, allow us because they have the rights to the film. Uh, they or to the books. They did allow us to do a seventieth anniversary video that's on narniweb.com. That's really cool where we highlight uh, one of the most famous sections of the book from the line that's the wardrobe and it's just a short like three minute film with fans from around the world reading portions of the book if you want to know what is narniweb.com that video encapsulates what the community is that was an amazing video we will link to it in the show notes and netflix to be fair to them and they did give us that ability to do that because they they held the rights to allow us to of course, I hadn't even thought about uh, really. I hadn't even thought about there being a rights issue there. But yeah, uh, okay. That, so, so there was that a rights a issue there, which they were fans. willing to. They were, so who knows? I'm you know I'd like to be again cautiously optimistic. I, and it, it you're right. It is still early, so maybe there's time. I I don't know enough about uh, Netflix's engagement with on other franchises with fans. I I'm kind of divorced from other franchises in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it's better and i'm just because again we're, we're not in production yet um they haven't started releasing you know here's the making of videos and stuff behind the scenes so we'll we'll see all right perhaps they will announce the director of the new uh, the lion the witch and the wardrobe and make everyone happy and the fans will just uh, be in ecstasy with glee rian johnson <laughs> well, really uh, it's been great having you back uh i i, I must admit i've missed recording uh aren't any of our uh, snarky deconstructions while we even try to be gracious and polite of the voyage of the dawn treader uh lots of uh, water has flown under the ship since then uh, but I'm, I'm gonna try to link some of those episodes in the show notes as well maybe a little bit more rustic in quality, but you know, this was the wild frontier days of podcasts folks, you know, back in the uh, the early 2010s. You know, if you spent $30 on a mic, you were, you know, as a poor college student, you know, that was like, you were shelling out. Yes. And you also had to record, you know, directly in uh, audacity over Skype. And uh, if you missed the recording, well, ha, 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 you are doing it all over again. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I think what is it? I, I, I missed the recording at one time and we're still talking, uh, which is, uh, is a testament to your gracious spirit. You are living like a Narnian, sir. And I greatly appreciate that about you. It's been great to stay in touch too. And you know, off and on, uh, even, uh, even after I have kind of moved on from that podcast to this one. So 
hopefully we can have you back and maybe we'll talk about Prince Caspian in the spring. Don't know. Or you know, maybe Netflix will announce something and then we'll, we'll get to get on and talk about that. But of course, uh, even if Rillian is not here, you can catch him sporadically at the Talking Beasts podcast from NarniWeb.com. You can go to NarniWeb.com. We'll have that link in the show notes. And you can also search for Talking Beasts on any of those uh, major podcast uh, streaming services. Well, Stephen, Zach, this has been a blast. And it's very fitting that it would be a crossover episode. So thank you very much. All right. Well, we like to uh, we like to jump into those little pools and the wood between the worlds and just see what other uh, what other realms may be awaiting down there. So, Rillian, uh, best of travels and uh, stay safe in the paws of the true Aslan. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Well, it was great to speak with Rillian again. Last time I spoke with him on a podcast, it was on his podcast, and now. I get to return the favor. Uh, there's just a sort of camaraderie with fans of Narnia. There's a, there's actually a, a moment described in the final Narnia Chronicle, the last battle, uh, in which I forget if it's Eustace or Jill are telling King Tyrion, actual Tyrion, not the founder of Narnia Web, uh, that the seven friends of Narnia uh, over here on the Earth side of the wardrobe uh, just like to get together and jaw about Narnia. And that's what we used to do a lot, at least what I used to do at NarniWeb.com. And I think it was probably my first exposure to fandom and the joys of fandom, but in particular, the Narnia fandom, which I would say is very unique because at least if you're more than a casual Narnia fan, you are defined not just by these stories, but by the themes and the grandeur of these stories. Lewis's biblical imagination permeates that world and I so appreciate the fact uh, that it is also permeating and changing the souls of those who dive deeper into these books. So really, again, appreciate uh, Rillian and best wishes to him and his family. And if you're listening there, brother, really appreciate you coming on. Zach, now you have another stranger than fantastical fiction for us. Oh, yeah. So the headline is, and it's not a UFO one this time, the headline is Japanese police panel proposes crossbow permits to prevent crimes. So (laughs) now the first time I saw this, when I just saw the headline, I thought, okay, so they're wanting people to get crossbows to go out and fight crime. But no, it's unfortunately not a citizen vigilante force. That would have been awesome. Uh, Apparently, it's a little more tragic than that. There was a crossbow attack in Yogo province, I hope I said that right, back in June, and it injured and killed four people. I couldn't Not find me. a whole lot about that. Yeah. This, so this whole crossbow permitting plan is about preventing future crossbow attacks, I guess. Apparently, there have been other crossbow attacks in recent years in other countries. Now I start to wonder, is there a crossbow villain out there somewhere? This is another one of those Disney viral marketing campaigns. They're setting up the <laughs> Hawkeye show, which is just announced as part of their big batch of Star Wars and Marvel shows. Right. That's yeah. So, you know, at this any rate, uh, yeah, at any rate, the Japanese police want to limit crossbow usage to quote, animal anesthesia, academic research or sports end quote. Hmm. I'm not really, <laughs> I didn't know that. Anesthesia uh, or euthanasia, like, like you're putting right. the, the wild boar out of its misery or something. <laughs> I wonder if that's a, wonder if there's a translation thing going on there. Yeah, exactly. Academic research. That was the other, I mean, sports I can understand, but academic research, I, I don't really know what that looks like with a crossbow, but that's pretty cool. 
makes me want to go back to school. Perhaps we'll see a Japanese crossbow equivalent to the, you know, the NRA in response to this. Like, yeah, I can already see the bumper stickers. Like, you can take my crossbow out of my cold, dead hands or something like that. I, I really didn't know this was such a thing. Uh, and not just here, but in, in Germany and a few other countries that apparently this is becoming a big problem. So we'll see where this goes next. I can definitely see an anime potential here. And yes, I know Japan is more than anime, but unfortunately, that's my main exposure to the fine culture of this fine nation. Uh, one of these days, I'll, I'll, I don't know, watch a kabuki play or something that's not anime from Japan, just to understand that they're more than just anime. I don't want to deal in stereotypes. But this here, this is a, this is a, a strange story, and it uh, definitely helps, unfortunately, feed those stereotypes. So I will be careful if anybody's yelling out there. <laughs> well, next on Fantastical Truth, as we mentioned uh, the earlier part of this episode, uh, this here, it turns out, is actually our last regular episode of this year, just of this year. We're definitely going to continue next year, uh, picking up in uh, mid-January. Uh, we'll release that next episode on a Tuesday. We're not sure yet uh, which topic we will feature on that episode. Could be more UFOs, could be more C.S. Lewis, could be something completely different, could be a review of the most geekiest stories of the past year. Uh, it could be a two-minute episode covering the top uh, superhero movies released in theaters in the year 2020. Who knows? We may just talk about The Mandalorian the whole time. I, I don't know. I'm, we're not sure whether everybody will be spoiler uh, aware by then or not. Either way, we're going to have some great topics planned, including many that we couldn't find time for this year. Uh, we have a whole list of these, and it just seems that uh, every time we put together some great topics, something else comes along, and it's a little more timely, and we have to push out some other ones. But I will say, uh, just uh, to you, Zach, uh, it's been great uh, doing, what is this now, 46 episodes? Yeah, 46. Yeah. Uh, you know, nice to get an even 50 there, and uh uh, but uh, maybe we can catch up next year. We've had a few bonus features, though, so maybe it's closer to you know, 48 or 49. But it's been amazing uh, to do this. It's been amazing to, uh, you know, to do the notes each week and find the topics and book the guests and just be able to explore these stories in what is, at least to me, a new and different way. Uh, adding uh, speech uh, to the medium uh, really helps to flesh this out and to give that sense of camaraderie that uh, we definitely need in a year when more people are staying home, uh, fewer people are able to get to a book club or a Sunday school class in person to discuss uh, what they've been reading or watching. Uh, a podcast like this one can definitely help uh, to fill in that sense of community. Yeah, to you, our listener, we hope uh, this year has brought you a lot of great books for you to check out that you may not have found about otherwise. And that's the entire mission of Lorehaven to celebrate and promote the best of Christian fantastical fiction. So um, we'll see you on the next episode. Indeed. And Merry Christmas, as I said before, and Happy New Year, of course. And you have to get through all of those greetings. Uh, in the meantime, uh, go to lorehaven.com, hit subscribe, and in the future you'll be able to choose just exactly what you want to get updates about in your inbox. We're going to have a lot of those great changes rolling out in January, just as soon as the holiday rush is over. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you also subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Fantastical Truth on all of the streaming platforms. Until next year and even beyond, further up and further in and Godspeed. <laughs>